एवरीवन वेलकम टू बियॉन्ड द रेज्यूमे आई एम अरमाना रंधावा एंड आई एम गौरव अस्वानी एंड दिस इज अ शो वेयर वी स्पीक विद फाइनेंस स्पेशलिस्ट अबाउट देयर एजुकेशनल बैकग्राउंड इंटर्नशिप्स एंड वर्क आस्किंग देम एवरी क्वेश्चन यू मे हैव अबाउट गेटिंग द जॉब यू नो अरमाना स्टूडेंट्स ऑफ अकाउंटिंग एंड फाइनेंस एंड इवन इकोनॉमिक्स वी आर ऑफन टोल्ड दैट वी शुड एस्पायर टू बी इन्वेस्टमेंट बैंकर्स बट डू स्टूडेंट्स रियली नो व्हाट इन्वेस्टमेंट बैंकर्स डू आई डोंट for one even i am on the same page as you armana i too don't know exactly what investment bankers do and i think it's really a good opportunity for us today because we have someone special right today we have with us an investment banker as our guest on the podcast exactly we have with us today kashyap parekh who is a former investment banker who worked at jp morgan which is one of the world's biggest investment banks He now works with the BCG as a consultant, and his educational profile is something Armana and I are very envious of. He is back top fifty ranks in both the CA, IPCC, and final exams, and has even cleared both the levels of the CFA. Thank you so much for being with us today, Kashyap. Uh, thank you, Gaurav. Thank you, Armana. It's great to be here. Hope we have a great conversation. Yes, definitely. So, jumping right into the question. um our first question to you would be what exactly does jp morgan do well explain it as simply as i can jp morgan chase is primarily divided into two parts one is the chase bank and second is jp morgan chase bank is a typical bank where you deposit your money in an account and save it like in any normal indian bank while jp morgan helps you use that money which you have saved it would There are three parts again here. First would be raising money for you. It could involve an IPO, or an FPO, or a private placement of your shares, or even tap into debt market, maybe bonds, loans, credit facilities. Second would be managing your assets. That would involve, you know, acquiring, controlling shares, acquiring shares, strategic services. You would have a team which would issue reports on different equities and bond markets on how the various companies were forming, basis which you could. Uh, you know invest in them or second there will be a team which will help you actually uh, invest in companies i am a part of the third vertical which is the asset reconstruction or the mna part which we say you would you would be involved in acquiring new companies merging your business units or even spinning off and divesting some of your business units that was really insightful kashyap because i think the founding experiences for students when it comes to banks is usually a commercial bank Where we would go and deposit money, make an account, and that's that. But although these organizations, investment banks and commercial banks, are both called banks, I, from your answer, I can make out that they operate wildly differently, right? What do you think, Armano? Yeah, exactly. First of all, I think as students, even as uh, college students, all we think about banks are uh, some place where people do nine to five jobs, and we go and take out money and deposit money. But yeah, there's a huge difference between commercial banks and investment banks, and I think people, uh, as as fascinated as we are by big names like J.P. Morgan, it's good to know what J.P. Morgan actually does, because no one can you know pinpoint and say this is the function, and this is a branch or whatever. I think this is a very well put answer. another thing i would like clear up is etymology of how fresher rolls are offered and i think armana and i can both attest uh, after talking to many seniors and peers in college is that the rolls offered to graduating students the fresher rolls really they're always uh, attached with the term analyst so it may be a business analyst maybe a financial analyst so i would really like to know 
what does a financial analyst do and why are they so heralded by investment banks? So an investment bank has a falling structure. It will start with an MD, that is the managing director. Then you have the executive director. Then you have a VP, an associate and an analyst. Analyst is a starting point of any deal or any marketing thing that happens. An MD or a VP will get you business, but the analyst will be the one who will research what's uh, will research market data, collate the data, analyze the data, and present the data. The MD or the VP will then present the data to the client. So, yeah, analysts typically do the groundwork for anything that happens in an investment bank. I think that clears up a lot of confusion that we might face after we graduate and for other working professionals who might be being offered some kind of roles in financial analysis or business analysis. And I think the listeners and Armana and I will be better equipped in making a decision when it comes to selecting a career path in financial analysis. So thank you so much for that, Kashyap. You know, earlier in the episode, Armana and I were discussing how mysterious and oftentimes discreet the entire investment banking process is. So if you could just walk us and the listeners through how the work is divided amongst various departments at an investment bank and um, the entire process itself. Could you please just demystify that for us? I would deep dive into this. It might take about two or three minutes here. So first thing is that three separate aspects in an investment bank. One will be a sector coverage team. The sector coverage team will be aligned to a specific sector, maybe a financial services sector, maybe a technology sector, or maybe an auto sector. Second will be an ECM team. The ECM team, uh, known as the equity capital markets team, will only work on IPOs, uh, SPOs, and private placement of equity shares, while the DCM team, that is the debt capital markets team, works on rating presentations, lender presentations, and ensures that you uh, raise money from the debt markets. Now, no matter which team you're a part of, there'll be two work streams. One will be marketing or business development, and second will be executions. So your MD might, you know, market something to a client. The client will like that idea, and they'll tell you to go ahead with it, which is known as an execution. Uh, as an analyst in the marketing role, you are primarily involved in uh, crunching some numbers, researching information, synthesizing that, and putting it into a PPT. It could involve researching how the industry is performing or how those specific companies performing or just, you know, providing some corporate action for a company, whether, you know, they want to acquire a company, whether they could sell off a division or uh, whether they can raise funds uh, in, a, in any manner. Now, once you market something to a client, they might like the idea, then they'll give you the mandate to go ahead with it. So let's say they will tell you that they want to sell off an asset. Now, as an analyst, what I'll do is I'll prepare information uh, deal materials, which include information memorandum, lender presentations, investor presentations, and rating agency presentations. All of this basically gives information about the company and its future prospects, because in the end, all those who are going to invest do not know anything about the company. So it's our job to present data in a uh, attractive manner for investors. Then you would have some admin and legal work, which would involve some Q&A sessions, Q&A sessions with the top with the top management teams and some legal documents which you would have to file maybe with the SEBI or the stock exchange. The third part which also comes here is some monthly or weekly reports showing what's happening in, in the industry. So maybe if we say an auto industry, then what? how are the various auto players trading right now? 
whether any of them acquired any companies, what are the recent developments in the market, and if there are any earnings releases. This is you know used internally within the firm and also sent to some specific clients who can use them. Kashyap, I think that's going to be really helpful to our listeners who are students and will soon be working finance professionals themselves because it will help them choose what kind of environment they really want to work in and what suits uh, their abilities and their goals. I think this is great and it will give Gaurav and I a lot of perspective as well. I definitely agree, Armana. I'm a proponent in understanding the environment one wants to work in because I think apart from monetary compensation and salaries and packages and stipends, I think um, finding the right match for your personality, for your working style, is one of the most important factors when it comes to deciding on taking a job. So I think uh, getting a bird's eye view of the entire investment banking process is going to be very helpful for all of our listeners. And Kashyap, I would like to move on to a little bit of a myopic viewpoint because you've given us the the holistic view of how an investment bank functions. But, you know, many times when we research various cardio paths, we come across these uh, YouTube videos uh, like day in the life of a corporate banker or a day in the life of a firm, of a big four firm, consultant and uh, I want to sort of recreate that experience for our listeners and for Armana and I myself. So if you could tell us uh, what's a day in the life like for you and uh, what work do you do on a day-to-day basis that would be really nice. So my day starts at around 10. Uh, The first thing which I do obviously is read through overnight emails that obviously happens even the first thing that I do when I wake up is read through overnight emails. once you read it, you decide when you want to boot on your laptop. It's generally the moment you wake up. So I start at around 10. You prioritize and start working on things. First thing is you uh, work on overnight comments. Once that is done, you start having calls with your seniors on deciding what should be done. Typically, you have a call first with an associate uh, who's you know just one level above us and decide on how do you want to present something on a deck. Then you prepare that deck. It might be a company profile. It might be a information memorandum. It might be a lender presentation or just a random Excel file that a, comp- that a client wants. Once you do that, you send it to your senior, uh, to the VP or MD. The VP or MD will provide some comments. You again have a call with call with them, and it goes goes out to the client. Uh, typically, a day is split between uh, 30, 70 percent, 30 to 70 split between your marketing and execution, or a 40 or 60 split between marketing and execution. Uh, executions uh, are really mind-boggling. You know, you need to be on toes for it. Uh, your day could be around a 12-hour day. I log in at 10 in the morning and log off at 12 or 1 in the night on a regular basis. There will be times when I'll be logging off at 3 or 4 in the night. Uh, luckily, my team has a strict no-weekend policy. So my weekends are saved, but if you go for a front-end role or if you're staffed on a live deal or an execution, you would have to work on weekends as well. And for an investment bank, clocking 80 hours a week is pretty normal. Um, however, recently, there have been days when, you know, they are starting to give some hours off in the middle or staffers, you know, try to ensure that if you have a, had a very hectic week, the next week is relatively chill. Uh, it is as a, result, as a result of the fact that Goldman recently came out with a report which was very damning for them. I have to say, Kashyap, your answer motivated me to study and do something in my life more than those YouTube videos that Gaurav was talking about. So let's 
uh, hope that that keeps up because what you said sounds really intriguing and i think uh, a lot of people a lot of listeners will be motivated to you know get to that point as well if this fits them although we must accept that each job profile comes with its own not so pretty parts and of course really stressful parts uh, because each job cannot be perfect every day and we do not like working or studying because of a certain you know gorav do you understand what i'm saying i definitely understand what you're saying armana and the the harsh reality is that suffering is a an eternal part of the human experience wow okay <laughs> Ah, not that uh, deep and dark and philosophical. Do I wholeheartedly agree with you, Gaurav? But yes, uh, Kashyap, my next question to you would be: Please give us uh, an all-round view of your job profile and life. We would like to know what are the most stressful aspects of your work, so we have a balanced outlook on this. Obviously, the long working hours, uh, you know, crack you up. It's very hard to keep, you know, keep a track of what's going on. You, as I said, you will have three or four meetings in a week. All of them have very short deadlines. I'll get an email on Friday that I have a meeting on next Thursday, so I need to start working on Monday and get the book ready by the by the next Thursday. Now there'll be multiple seniors that you work with, different clients. You know, managing all of all of their expectations becomes a, a bit tough. There are times when you get an email from your senior at ten or eleven in the night that they need some books to be prepared for a meeting next day. Now. It is at that time where you start questioning yourself whether I am I am in the right field or not. Uh, another problem is the fact that I have a meeting at four in the evening. I have you know I have sent out the book to the client and to the seniors. It's all approved. It's all done. And at three, some suddenly the MP will say, "Okay, let's change this." So you need to you know start working quickly. You know, jotting down, changing what are you want to do in the next thirty minutes to ensure that it reaches the client on time. So well, it becomes a bit hard at that point of time. You know what, Mana? Getting a whole picture for any sort of project and employment is so important because, with any job in this world, there are going to be some negative cons that come with it. And I remember specifically, and this is personal to us, when we had the idea of starting the podcast, we were really enthusiastic and really excited to start working on it and calling different people and networking with professionals. But you do agree, as this has gone on, the production has been quite the task. It has. I have to agree with Gaurav. Was I love the podcast. Uh, I love what we are doing here, and I hope that something fruitful comes out of it. But of course, there's so much that goes into it—the editing, the post-production, the planning. So I think everything that we do in life comes with a harder part that we have to get through to get to the final uh, end. And I think that's amazing. Uh, and talking about getting to the final end, uh, getting to our goals. Um, Have you ever felt Gaurav that there are some days in life when you feel super accomplished and you feel lovely about yourself and you feel motivated and then you go on to LinkedIn and you see thousands of profiles where everyone has specialized in fifty things and they're doing twenty courses and they've done forty internships and and you just start feeling like you haven't uh, there's there's a long way to go mainly because everyone has done so much. Definitely, I think LinkedIn depression is a real thing because. uh the cases you know we often see our peers students who are our age and we think oh my god they're starting companies they're starting ngos and uh, they're working on these really insane projects and i i think it's very natural to feel sort of inadequate inadequate but it's it's important to realize that social media is not 
what the reality is because uh, many people like to window dress and show off a little bit more and in reality they might actually not be accomplishing the things that they are talking about so it, it i think it's a little bit of a task but we always have to try and maintain a sort of um, a reality check because we only have 24 hours in a day we have our personal lives to balance along with our careers along with studies along with hobbies so i think uh, what, what you've spoken about is very true uh, but arman i think it's a little ironic considering we're talking about this on our podcast that we started and uh, it's also ironic for you to say in particular because oh my god you are doing like 10000 things at the same time and particularly in terms of academics i mean uh, you're pursuing three four uh, certifications and i actually want to talk to you about this because our guest today kashyap parekh has uh, done cfa and i understand you are preparing for the cfa so i want to ask you how's your preparation been till now um thank you gorav as flattered as i am i have to stop you right there i'm really not doing 10000 things uh i am trying to balance a few things academically uh but before that i would like to say that it's so important to understand what you just said because at this age it's so easy for us to get fomo the fear of missing out because we don't give ourselves enough credit for the things that we do and we always want to try to do what everyone else is doing uh and yes sometimes people window dress and fake a lot about what they do on LinkedIn, but uh, one thing that you cannot fake is uh, professional degrees, I guess. Um, and yeah, so what I'm trying to do is I'm just trying to become a CA. I'm giving my CA intermediate exams in November, and I'm also trying to pursue CFA level one um, next year because someone told me that CA is a core accounting professional degree and CFA is a professional finance degree, and that combination is good. um but i would like to ask you uh, kashya personally because we all have our reasons to do professional degrees uh why did you do cfa and did it help you break into the world of finance as is the popular notion started cfa because of that i had some time on my hand and the senior of mine was doing it so he just suggested me to do it so i started off i started liking it i you know developed an interest for finance it did help me break into the jp morgan role because one they value cfa nowadays and second it helps you uh, you know answer technical questions that are asked in an investment banking or a finance interview as such kashyap i think that's really noble because a uh, lot of times when i get free time i simply just watch some youtube videos start some pet projects and never end up never end up actually executing them but i think that's really commendable because you took the time you had and you decided to invest it in an area that could yield you some really good returns on your career so i think i'll definitely take that advice and uh, i think the listeners can also learn from your experience and maybe try fitting in more uh, certification preparations into their schedule uh, but i want to come back to my point about starting new projects and not seeing them through because um i have a lot of ideas and armana you know that and many times i suggest a lot of them and they never end up seeing the light of day and we actually this is a common ground we share because even you decide to do a lot of things we both very ambitious but sometimes it can be really difficult to execute everything and i hate to bring this up i'm sorry but i know you uh, were thinking about preparing for cs and you were actually preparing for it and you were 
really working hard towards it. But then uh, I know you told me you decided to stop uh, into your preparation. So I wanted to ask you, why did you make that decision? Because I think the listeners might be able to take some valuable lessons from your decision. Yes. Um, thanks for asking me why I stopped. Uh, so um, my first, my ultimate goal is to do CA and CFA and college. Uh, now the government is, I think a lot of people would know, now UGC has made a CA intermediate degree equivalent to an undergrad degree. And CA final, if you complete CA final, you have a master's degree, technically. So my goal was to do CA and CFA. Uh, CA because professional accounting degree, CFA because professional charter holder for finance. I had thought of taking up CA because I had a little free time after my CA foundation and before I started CFA prep. Uh, and I didn't even give CSET, which is the first level of CS, uh, because um, CS is mainly corporate law. So it's like a professional degree for corporate law and amongst other things. And CA and CS is a great combination, but CS itself takes three years to complete. And then I was told that if you do CS, it's very advisable that you do law which is three years of LLB and then two years of LLM, which is seven years. So seven plus three is 10 years. And I cannot see myself. So to be very honest, I prefer the CA plus CFA combination for my career goals. I can go into forensic accounting and investment banking or even portfolio diversification. I can maybe look at shifting abroad and trying something out over there. CA CS is a very specific specialized combination for Indian students uh, uh, for people who would maybe want to settle down in India uh, itself and uh, while doing CS is a great thing uh, depending on how much you love corporate law and if you want to be a legal advisor in MNC or something like that there are many options for me it wasn't the best and I think I was I wouldn't have been able to do three professional degrees all at the same time and pass in the first attempt in all of them so I guess I had to pick and choose the best and divide my time wisely. I think every student needs to do that. Uh, and so that people don't waste time like I wasted a little bit of time. Kashyap, we would like to hear from you. Uh, according to you, what do you think are the ideal combination for finance roles? I think the gold standard is CA plus MBA plus CF. If you have that, you can get anywhere. The other combinations could be CA plus MBA, an MBA plus CFA, a CA plus CFA, or a CFA plus FRM. There are other schools as such. If I'm not sure if you know it, but there's a school called the Wall Street School. They have a course on investment banking or financial modeling, and they do play students as well. You could get into valuation roles, you could get into equity research roles, or typical IB roles as such. So these are something people could look at. I have a friend who did his FRM and is now working as a derivative traders in an Indian boutique firm. I have another friend who has done none of these. He just completed his BAS and went into an equity research role at an Indian boutique firm again. But what's happened for both of them is that they started as an intern, as an intern at those firms. So my advice here would be try to get internship positions at financial services firm to move and try to work their way, way upward. Another thing could obviously an active financial blog that you maintain uh, some, some similar to what you guys are doing i have a friend who got an interview from a dubai based asset management company just because of the fact that he actively posted on linkedin 
Pashav, I think that's going to be really insightful for our younger listeners who have the time and resources to invest into these really exhaustive and intensive courses and certifications. But uh, I want to come on to a more personable and more interesting topic for my own self, actually. As a finance enthusiast, I'm really interested to understand your perspectives on uh, financial assets and uh, because I know as uh, enthusiasts, we understand things on a conceptual level and we have a well-reasoned perspective, but we, we don't have access to the institutional side of things. And as an insider, I'm sure you have some really um, insightful opinions. And uh, one area I want to take you to is cryptocurrencies, because frankly speaking, this year has been absolutely dynamic and very explosive and um, exponential for cryptocurrencies as an asset, because we've seen celebrities like Elon Musk, Richard Branson, talk about cryptocurrencies and these assets just shooting up in value. And because of the open source nature of these assets, anybody can come up with a blockchain um, or distributed ledger technology-based asset, and they can uh, put in their own protocols and make these assets. So it's, it's, it's very interesting. And adding to this, there is no legal framework or regulation right now. So it's just the wild west, honestly. And uh, cryptocurrencies are a fad that we're going to talk about 50 years from now and reminisce about, or do you think they're here to stay? Uh, this is an interesting question. I definitely believe cryptocurrencies are here to stay. Digital currencies would possibly be the way forward for international payments. I think they definitely pose a risk to someone like a Visa or a MasterCard. So yes, they'll be here to stay. But what's interesting to see is what form they transform into. There could be two things. One, they could be used as a mode of payment similar to a dollar or a rupee. Or they could become an asset class where people invest just to store their money, something similar to gold, but in a digital form. There could be a scenario where some countries like the US would allow cryptos to be used as a form of payment, while some countries like India would only allow cryptos to be used as a store of value of money. So you could you know, trade in cryptos similar to any dollar future or something like that. And then there would be then there will be a scenario where there will be heavy regulations in countries like India to ensure that cryptos do not flow out. I think it's very uh, obvious why that happens is because of the fact that comp uh, you know, your banks do not, or your central banks do not want money to flow out of India or the Hawala transactions that happen because of the anonymity of the cryptos. Um, I, what I, again, what I feel is maybe uh, 10, 15 down, 10 15 years down the future there'd be a scenario where most of the currencies that are in existence today would dwindle down you could only have the top currencies in existence and there could be some global regulations to ensure that there's some check on it the second thing that could happen is something similar to what facebook is doing with libra or now dm i think it's called where they're pegging it to the us dollar so when you have anything that's pegged to a global currency where some central bank can control it it's more acceptable to governments. Um, so, Kashyap, as we all know, it's a general rule of thumb in finance that fixed income markets and equity markets work inversely towards each other. So if the bond market is not doing that well, uh, it, it, it's, a good, it's good news for equities, right? 
uh and that's why i just wanted to we just wanted to know your general views on the plummeting bond deals especially in india uh gaurav do you have anything to add on to that before we ask our question perfectly summarized amar mana because uh as as amar mana said that uh, that rule of thumb stands true and that is of concern because for the first time we've seen negative bond yield quote on the, the 10 year bonds in india so Tasha, what do you make of this? What do you make of this for the equity markets and for investors as a whole? So, negative bond yields definitely is a rarity in India. I think there were two cases. One was an error on a stock exchange because of it, he had negative bond yields quoted, and second was RBI allowing negative bond yields to be quoted. I, I'll focus on the second part. One of the main reasons for RBI doing that was to you know squeeze the short sellers. The problem that happens with negative bond yields is that when short sellers want to reverse their position, they now have to pay interest rates when they reverse it, and hence it is uh, you know not beneficial for them to now short it. Price finding happens in any market only when there are long, long and short players. So if the secondary market in bonds do not allow you to short sell it, uh, there will be some liquidity issues out there. There will be a case where people pull out their monies from bond bond markets and. Put it into the equities or any other asset class for that matter, which would push up the prices. Uh, in a which would obviously push up the prices. From purely financial or technical perspective, what would happen when it comes to equity valuations is that the negative yields would lead to a lower discounting rate. At the same time, for the P on the P and L of companies, you would have a positive interest cost. That is, they would receive interest rather than paying it. So your valuations would shoot up the roof. Uh, so i think as retail investors the best thing is you know riding the wave earning as much as you can and exiting when it hits the top and you see that things are going south things would start going south south when the companies would have to repay that bond or at a time when yields on floating bonds rises and the companies are unable to service it because of the highly levered position that the companies would now have obviously you know with the negative yields companies would like to issue new bonds which would increase the leverage So with this highly levered position, repaying it becomes an issue. And once there's a repayment, or, or when it, once there's a repayment crisis, or there's a shortfall in their cash reserves, everything would go down. You know, equity markets, bond markets, and currency markets all are important in the functioning of an economy as a whole. And I think Ashwin, you made a very well reasoned and nuanced um, answer because. we do want to promote our equity markets definitely but at the same time if we neglect or discourage the bond markets this can create liquidity issues as you mentioned and even in the present context because we all know government spending has increased during covid-19 and the government capital receipts to uh, debt payment is at a all time high and i think that is definitely of concern so if bond markets are plummeting that is going to make an even more difficult task for the government because of course bonds are one of the prime ways government raises non tax revenue and uh, this makes for a very interesting discussion discussion armana don't you think yeah i think it made for really good discussion especially for because personally uh, i know that a lot of people or finance students aren't as up to date with current financial topics as they should be and the way that 
Kashyap spoke about something as relevant as cryptocurrencies and negative bond yields today really breaks it down for people who don't know where to start or who or you know just to get a basic idea this was lovely and not just that in in the section where we spoke about education and internships i think the points that he made about how one person can't sit and tell what another person should do with their degrees or what they should do for their uh, internships and articleships is so true because we have to before picking up any new course or any new job we have to look at how beneficial it's going to be for us and our goals in the future because our time is really sparse and we have to spend it wisely and we have to be in places that do us as much good as we do to them even for Gaurav and I, I think we were really enlightened because a lot of times as finance students we're just told how to get a degree we don't know what to do with it or where to go with it and I think for those especially those who want to get into IB investment banking later on this has given them something to think about uh, really good food for thought don't you think Gaurav? Definitely agree and uh, Kashyap has been really generous in walking us through his intimate details about his work whether it's a day in his life or even being really honest and upfront about how stressful the IB work is because uh, we have a personal bias at times to sort of glamorize what we do and the projects we're working on. And I think, Kashyap, I admire your honesty and being so open. Thank you so much for that. And Armana, of course, our discussions uh, and uh, your uh, uh, takes on CS and other certifications and your approach on deciding what you want to do. I personally learned a lot from it. I, we, I know we've never spoken about that outside of the podcast. So that was really enlightening to know. And I hope the listeners take away as much value as we did, Armana, because I think I have a lot to do now that I've spoken to Kashyap, and I think I'm just creating a list in my head of all the things I have to get done with. Same. I'm super motivated after talking to Kashyap, um, and I think a lot of our listeners will be as well. Almana, I think we're really excited to bring on even more, uh, you know, on similar guests and uh, guests in various diverse fields. I know we have someone in the uh, pipeline uh, who works in cryptocurrency. Uh, with cryptocurrencies, we have someone who is at a very, uh, I know, high managerial position in a, another investment bank. Yeah, I think this was really fun for Almana and I to record and uh, I hope this was fun and even informative for the listeners to uh, be a part of our conversation and Armana and I are really excited to get you even more interesting and uh, nuanced episodes we hope our conversations with specialists impact you positively and you get to develop your skills beyond the resume